All right, it's DT Systems, dog tested and dog tough. You know, we like that dog in them, baby. We've been using the H2O1820. Over the last several months, we've been playing with this unit. Our friends at Standing Stone Kennels, Ethan and Kat, they've been using it for years, and we've been playing with it. We really like it. I think for the dog trainer, the hunter, and the guy or gal who's training their dog to get ready for duck season, we'll really enjoy the 1820. Super reliable, super consistent, great unit for you and your dogs. H2O1820. Dog tested. Dog. All right, baby, Gunner Kennels. Man, one of the things that I love about Gunner Kennels is they're thinking about our older hunting buddies. Old Buck, he hangs out in a Gunner Kennel when he goes to and fro, and in his, we've got the ortho pad. He's got the old joints, and, and even if your dog's not old like Buck, you just want a little bit of added protection as you're rolling down the road to keep that dog from bouncing around a little bit. So the ortho pad, super huge. If you got a younger dog that may dig a little bit, maybe chew a little bit, that performance pad is going to be clutch as well. So check it out. It's the full kit brought to you by Gunner Kennels, always innovating our industry and always keeping your dog safe. Slide the dms if you'd like to learn more about getting you and your dog into a gunner kennel force fetch what is it it's super intimidating to so many people yet it's not that difficult i built a step-by-step process that helps you understand it you and your dog can be successful in it and it takes the intimidation away of the process so that you and your dog can get to your goals that's what it's built for let me teach you how i do it so that you and your dog can do it different breeds different personalities problem solving and more check it out links in the description the force fetch course baby What's going on, everybody, and welcome to another episode of Lone Ducks Gun Dog Chronicles, baby. We might as well call it Hudson River Retrievers, Brown Dog Academy, the Pterodactyl. Cacao is in action, baby. He's in the house. He drove from Lula, Georgia to Parrish, New York, and we're recording now live in the Lone D-Vest. Lone Duck Studios. Lone Duck Studios, Parrish, New York. Welcome back, bud. It's great to be back. Great to be here live in person. Yeah, you've never even been here before. No, and I've never seen KO. No, first time. Look at him. He's so much better looking than you. Majestic. AF. Nice. I agree. Yeah. Kevin doesn't have a microphone. He left it uh, on the way out of his house. That's what happens when you got a toddler. They mess up all your plans. Poor Jack. Poor Jack Jack. He loves his Uncle Bobby. Welcome back, bud. Thanks for joining the show. Thanks for coming to New York. I'm excited to have you. This is uh, this is like a dream come true, really, for me. Well, I don't know if it's a dream come true, but it is good times being it's up here. and Fellowshipping. Yeah. Unspoken fun, fellowship, bonding. dog training. Yeah. Eating. Yeah. Chilling. We had Ling pool, Todd. Pool night tomorrow. Yeah. We're going to get the pool back up and running. We had to put some water in it. Uh, evaporation happened. I wasn't paying attention. Pool got low. You're done. Um, let's quickly do uh, our sponsors, right? So our first sponsor is patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. It is the community of all you lovely folks who tune in and follow us on Instagram and join our community. Blaine's making faces at me, so now I can't focus. Um, long story short, the community, it's a ton of fun. We do happy hours every other week where I answer your guys' dog training questions. We have a couple beers and we just enjoy each other's company. It's a more direct link to me. If you're having trouble training your dog or want to get through force fetch T pattern, et cetera. Um, so join there, but you have a Patreon now too, for about the last two years and it's cooking. Yeah. And that is patreon.com forward slash Brown Dog Academy. Academy. And a lot of great videos. You've got an awesome force fetch series that uh, several of our Patreon members, I've you know referred them to some of your videos, and they're happy. So if you're interested, check it out. Yeah, check it out. Plenty of force fetch, different ways of doing it. Something will fit your dog. That's right. 
uh, you know, T pattern swim by. You got all these great videos on there, great content, and you get Blaine. He'll there help you, you out. So cool. Next up, pop, 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 Purina, baby, from the duck blind to the holding blind. It's the food that fuels the truck of Lone Duck and Hudson River Retrievers. So, what you got to say about that? Good food. Great people. Yep. Great man on our side with Ray Vote. Yep. He was yeah. on the podcast a few episodes ago yeah. and was super easy to talk to. Great guy and extremely knowledgeable. And yeah. when I mean extremely knowledgeable, I mean worked for one of the best in our world for, I think, 15 years. So Yeah. If you've got a question about dog training in the retriever world, Ray Vote can answer it. Yeah. Undoubtedly. Cool to have on your side with Purina. Yep. So, dig in. Get him a scoop of that Purina, baby. Next up, man's best kennel. You got a couple, don't you? Uh, yeah, a couple, four or five. A couple, two, three. Yeah. Great yeah. kennels. Built, met, made in America. Yeah, met the guy. You were there with us. Master National in Idaho, who's on the videos. Truck flipped. Gunner kennel laying on the ground. Dog unscathed. Truck totaled. That's yeah. all I need to know. That's all you need to know. Yep. That's Spencer. Mm-hmm. Who's good friends with uh, Adam and Jimmy? AC, yeah, big big dogs at the Doghouse Podcast. Next up, dog tree e collars, always in my back pocket or in my hand or on the dog's neck. How about you, bud? Always in your hand, always in, your in hand. the back pocket. Well, when you're going, you know, you got it in your back pocket. I like having it in, in between pocket. dogs. Yeah, yeah. Stick it yeah, in. There. Great collars. Slip it on. Great in. company. Pete Fisher, he's the man. Yeah, he's been on the podcast too. Super knowledgeable dog, man, and and I love their customer service. Right now, just uh, fair warning, Edge RTs are out of stock. People are up in arms. I get it. They're having trouble with a chip. A chip. Kind of like the truck market. There's a chip that goes into our Edge RTs that makes them special. Um, And so hopefully early this upcoming year, they'll have them back in stock ready to roll. So if you're thinking of an Edge RT... Just wait. Don't go crazy. It'll be okay. They're coming back. And you've always got the 1900S. Oh, yeah. That's my faves. You like the 280C, too, don't you, for your I little do, boy yeah. Teams? For the little ones, uh, pets, small dogs, 280C, good little, good little unit. I like it when you say unit. Next up, <laughs> smoke them if you got them, baby. <laughs> Traeger Grills. We had Ling Cod from the Pacific Northwest. Uh, Blaine, a specific ocean called the, the Pacific Ocean. Yeah. Blaine, you went there for a Boykin seminar. That's right. And a Boykin test. When was that? Three, four weeks ago. Yeah. Flew into Seattle, drove up to Monroe, played with the dogs for a couple of days, drove out to the coast, played with the King Salmon and the Lingcod. Yeah. Yeah. And so we ate Good some of times. that for dinner on the Traeger. And you did some veggies on the Traeger. It was delightful. So, smoke them if you got them, baby. Next up. Mm. <laughs> oh, man. Shoot or shoot. Uh, we just got a bunch. And I'm super thankful to Kent. And uh, But they just sent us a bunch of seven and a half for 12 gauge. So, me and Kevin got a... Actually, while you're here, we'll shoot some clay birds, too. We we'll want some 20 gauge. Yeah, we didn't get 20 each. Well, you know, beggars can't be choosers. Um, but uh, they also did a great contest with us on Instagram where uh, one lucky winner is going to win a case of Fast Steel 2.0. So hope you joined that contest. We'll be announcing the winners. Kevin, when are we announcing the winners? We're not. They are. <laughs> Nailed it, Kevin. I had to swing the arm. Good work, Kevin. Good job, Kevin. <laughs> Way to stick it out with us. Um, so they're going to be announcing the winner at some point. That'll be great. Next couple days, stay tuned. Someone's going to win some Kent Fast Steel, so thanks to them. Next up, Standing Stone Kennels. Our good friends, Ethan and Kat, sponsored the show. They've got a complete gun dog supply store called StandingStoneSupply.com, and that little place is filled with anything you need. Uh, but I'm going to say all my dogs in my kennel have flat collars on with my name and information on them. Um, 
I've got a couple of their easy leads as well for doing heel work and yard work and stuff. Great products, great people. Check them out. And lastly, Waypoint Outdoor Collective. They keep us in tune with you and you in tune with us. All right, bud, let's get into the show, bud. He's hitting record on his phone. Is this going on your Patreon? It might. Cool. If we can hear the audio. Oh, we'll hear the audio. Yeah. Maybe, uh, yeah, they'll hear us. Cool. If not, this is special. So, Blaine, let's... Uh, Kevin, Kevin, we're good. All right. <laughs> Kevin's in the back. We need you. I need you closer to me so I can swing the mic to you. How's that sound? That way you can participate more. Come on, KO. We love you. So tell me about, tell me about the Boykin trip, bud, because I feel like there's probably some nitty gritty stuff that you saw and worked on with people that would be fun to talk about and just reminisce on the experience and and some things that you saw that were good, bad, ugly, and what you guys worked on. Okay. We've been going out there for a few years. Western States, Boykin Spaniel Club. Um, it's a club that ranges from Southern California all the way to the Pacific Northwest. There's not a lot of, lot of hunt test clubs out there. And so when they go to try to run a hunt test, they have to drive six, eight, ten hours to get to one uh, at the closest Sometimes they're driving a day, day and a half to get to a hunt test. And so we've decided to go out there the last couple of years and help them out and do a seminar and a hunt test. And this year we did a field trial as well. So it was pretty fun. Um, they're doing good. They're getting better. Nice. And that's, you know, that's the goal. They've got a lot of uh, puppies out of our kennels over the years, sending uh, semen out West to, to breed their dogs. And I know there's some of, uh, Brandywine's uh, dogs out there, and they've got good dogs out there now, and they're learning how to train them. Yeah, just slinging that seed. Just from, slinging it, baby. From sea to sea. That's exactly. Beautiful. Literally. Yeah. yeah, coast to coast. Yeah, so it's fun. Uh, a very fun group. They don't get a lot of attention out there with their Boykins because there's not a lot of them out there. And so if you come out there and show them some attention, they show you some love and take you fishing. That's awesome. Tell us about this fishing trip, bud. Oh, Epic. Yeah. Yeah, I've never been I've never seen the Pacific Ocean, so that was cool. What it looked like. It was wet, cold. <laughs> was it? It was cold, yeah. Jackets and long pants and yeah, it was cold. I don't remember the name of the, the, the guide. He was a jerk. So For real? Oh yeah, total jerk. Yeah. What was he what did he do to make him a jerk? I don't oh. even know how people are jerks. What do they do? Just yelling at us. I mean, yeah, telling us something, we do it, and yelling at us, and just being mean, and we're paying you. Really? Yeah, we're having fun, we're catching fish, we're having some beer skis, and you're yelling at us. But we caught fish, he did put us on the fish, um, it was pretty rough the, the day we were out, but he still, you know, managed, we catch a lot of, we caught all our limits. Cool. Um, it was fun. How big are Lincod? Lincod. Can the people see me? No. You know, they can't see this. You know, Three feet. two to four feet. No way. Yeah, they're big, long, toothy, mean fish. Cool. They yeah. fight real well? Yeah, really well. They eat flounder. Okay. We use live flounder as bait cool. to catch lingcod. Uh, they're super aggressive. They hate everything in the in the water. They just attack it. And so they attack the flounder, and you try to pull them up out of the depths. And How deep um, are you fishing for them? 90, 100 feet, maybe. Cool. Yeah, not real deep, but... Trolling? No, Lincoln was just down, fit, you know, just bottom fishing. Mm. Dropped the flounder all the way to the bottom. He said, reel it five times. Hold on. And he was right. It was fun. Uh, the king salmon fishing was, was trolling. Okay. Um, and so that was fun, too, just different. I've never trolled for fish. Yeah. Um, so that was fun, nice. um, but beautiful, man. You can see the Cascade Mountains, you know, I've never seen mountains, you know, in the ocean on the beach over in the East coast. You don't see mountains, right. you know, from the ocean. Uh, so that was cool. Snow, you know, snow covered mountains in the middle of July and August. And, uh, yeah, really cool. Beautiful place. Cool weather. Nice people. Good experience. Yeah. Fun How'd stuff. you ship that fish back? I just brought it on the airplane with me. Yep. Yeah. Yep. They have processing uh, plants at the marina. They process it however you want it. Pack it in a box. F uh, flash freeze it. Mm -hmm. Put it on uh, the airplane as uh, 
checked luggage. Nice. That's it. Yeah. 34 pounds of salmon meat, a bunch of ling cod. Well, yeah. thanks for sharing it with us. Because no joke, it was delicious. I mean, it was like mm-hmm. flaky and just really, really good. What'd you, how did you cook it on the Traeger? <laughs> Sponsor. Smoke them if you got them. <laughs> yeah, baby. Uh, pretty easy, bud. We uh, took some of your salt pepper mm-hmm. and get an Old Bay, a bottle of Old Bay in there. We sprinkled that on there, mm-hmm. put some olive oil on it, mm-hmm. set the Traeger as hot as we can get it, and cooked it for about five minutes a side. Beauty. Yeah, it was yeah, really simple. good. Well done. Easy stuff. Easy stuff. Well, that's that's pretty cool. What were some of the things from the, the Hunt Test Field Trial Seminar that stuck out in your mind that would help our listeners as they're progressing with their dog challenges and stuff like that. Skipping steps, taking, you know, going through things too fast. They all, for the most part, follow Brown Dog Academy. And so we would work through where they were at. We would, you know, we would find the holes of what, you know, we would see the dog do something. I said, all right, how much time did you spend in this spot? Give an example. Swim by was a great, we, most of the seminar was about water work and swim by and casting into the water. Mm-hmm. And there was a ton of trouble with that and not enough time was spent in T work mm-hmm. with, you know, casting with a bumper in their mouth. So the dogs would feel comfortable casting back into the water with a bumper in the mouth or a bird in the mouth. Um, I think they just, they just race through it. Mm-hmm. And so they get it you know, to go halfway right a couple of times and they start running water blinds mm-hmm. and the water blinds suffer. They can't cast their dogs back in the water on the way back. The dogs seem to do pretty good on the way there, but on the way back, they were just all about running the banks and they would not cast back in the water. And so we, you know, we just dropped back and, and punted and said, all right, you've got to get this right. You can't move on. Don't try to speed up the process just so you can run a senior test. Mm-hmm. And that's, you know, that, that's what it all boiled down to. We want to run a water blind. We're good enough on the way out to pass, um, but we're not good enough on the way back to have a good dog, you know, that you can handle and show the right way there and back. And, you know, that's a problem. Yeah, I, I agree. I, we have it up here and I would imagine they're the same. There's such a small window of dog training opportunity. Maybe it's April to end of september because once you hit october you're pheasant hunting duck hunting goose hunting grouse hunting whatever you're doing you're you're kind of done training and you're into hunting season and then it gets cold and now you're not doing water work and then the dogs put up until april water starts to warm up and you're back in the water and so our window is eight months long of training and you'll see people ram cram all that hard work that really takes a lot longer to perfect. And they, they push the dog too fast. Dog doesn't grasp the concepts that you're asking of them. And at the end of the summer, you've got a good dog that could have been great. If you slowed down, it's super common in the North. Well, out there too, I think you're dealing with limitations on places to train. I mean, there's guys there that are from, Los Angeles. Mm. Okay? Yep. There's not a lot of tech ponds in Los Angeles to go use. They're driving four to five hours to train one day a week. No way. And so it's tough. Yeah. And then probably during that day, they're cramming. Right. And, you know, we're spoiled. We pull out of our kennel. We drive across the road. We've got water every day. And most of the country's like that. But they're in the, the western states, a lot of desert areas. There's not a lot of water. There's not a lot of water built for dog training. And so they struggle with finding uh, the places to train. And, and I get it. I don't, you know, I, I don't know what that's like. Right. I do know what it's like to try to rush through things, though. And so you've got to learn to make the most out of what you have. And, you know, if it might take us two years of training to run a master test with a dog, Maybe it takes them three or four and you've got to accept that and know that that's okay. It's not a race. Right. Yeah. That is a, a, I feel like a real common theme lately to, to say I've got a two year old master hunter. Right. You know, a 28 month old dog. That's a master dog or an HRCH. And it's the keeping up with the Joneses 
mentality that the dog suffers from it, hands down. And who cares? I could care less, truthfully. Nobody ever looks back and says, well, how old was that dog when it got his MH? Or cares that it was 22 months or 24 months or 32 months. Right. They look at the dog right then, and that's a good dog. That's what you want. And so that's what you want. What's the dog going to do when it's three and four and five? Not when did it get its title? Because everybody has, has dealt a different, you know, hand of circumstances. And we have a limited amount of time and limited amount of areas to train. And so that's mm-hmm. not a, uh, it's not an even playing field for everybody. Yeah. And, and cramming for a test, right? Like we've got a test in two weeks. So you're starting to cram and it, it's no good. So I don't know. Just keep that in mind, everyone. Just make sure that you're, you're following the steps. Slow is smooth. Smooth is fast. And you'll be happier. I'd rather have a dog that's enjoyable to run at tests and trials for nine years than a dog that by two and a half is burnt out, super cheaty, test-wise, braking, vocal, you know, you name it not fun to run anymore and and in fact you probably have to stop running them because they just keep failing them because they understand the difference between training and testing because you crammed them in and got a master title by two two and a half years old and got it done before duck season there's always next year right and and it's no fun going to a test with a dog halfway confident you might pass if the test is easy enough yeah Overprepared, underwhelmed. Right. And so wait, run the test when the dog's overprepared, find some success for you and your dog, have a great time, do it again next time. Yeah. You want to talk fishing for five more minutes? Fishing. I can talk fishing all night. I know. You kind of, when I asked you what you wanted to talk about tonight, you said fishing. Fishing. So I'm going to give that to you. Whatever. All right. You have been striped bass fishing. In Georgia. Right. Undisclosed location. I won't even tell my mom. (laughs) (laughs) Talk to us about that because you've, you, I remember like a, probably two years ago, you're like, I'm going to figure these things out and I'm not stopping until I do. And I would say you've got them pretty figured. Yeah. They're pretty fun, man. Yeah. Big. Yeah. They're big. They taste good. They fight. Look, we don't throw them back. No. We throw them in the cooler. Yeah, you don't catch them uh, Yeah, we're yeah, releasing in the grease, as they say. Um, <sighs> we like to eat fish. Stripers are fun. To me, they're the hardest fighting freshwater fish you can catch. Uh, we catch them in Lake Lanier. That's the lake closest to our house. Uh, big, giant lake. Tons of striper fishermen, striper guides. It's a, a big economy there. Um, but it's super fun, man. It's, you know, this time of year... They're in super deep water. Uh, I had one on the Instagrams two weeks ago. I caught it on a Sunday. We try to go every Sunday morning. It was 32 pounds caught in 130 foot of water. No And they go way, way deep in the summertime. And it's like deep sea fishing. And you're dropping bait way down and um, light line because the water is so clear. And, you know, it's fun. It's trying to, you know, try to catch a fish that big, bring it up that far on eight pound test leaders. And it's, you know, it's pretty fun. They fight hard and they eat good and, you know, it's good What do you catch them on? Live blueback herring. Not redback? Not redback, bluebacks. No silverback? No silverbacks. No, blueback herring. And they like them. They love them. In the wintertime, we catch them on rainbow trout. Mm. So. Mm. Trouser trouts. Trouser trouts. Stripers like them. Yep. They eat them. So do you. <laughs> Kevin's probably like, what the heck? Anywho, let's get into some dog training. How does that feel? Let's do it. All right. We're going to go to our Patreon. I'm going to pull this sucker up right now. Uh, do, 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 do. We had a good question come in from Blaine Mop, one of our Patreon patrons. Good community. Using back on blinds and marks and never using the dog's name to release him. Will this bite me in the butt as we continue in the hunt test game? I would say this is, I don't know about you 
or, or where you've seen it, but I feel like a lot of the main New Hampshire, Connecticut crew, they say back for everything. Contests. Yeah. They, they just I've, back. I've heard of a lot of people. Mm-hmm. I don't really think it's going to be that big a deal. No. If that's what you like to do, do it. It's The only place, it, it, I don't think it could hurt anything. The only reason people use their dog's name is for the mark. So when they're honoring, you know, to, you know, if your dog's name is Joe and mine's Kevin, if you say Joe to send your dog, Kevin's not going to leave. Right. And so not too many dogs named back. <laughs> so it's not going to be a problem on the honor. Right. Um, I know lots of successful field trials. Dakota trains dogs for a very successful amateur who he's got to, you know, think about it when he's sending this dog was on marks that he says back. Mm-hmm. And so, you know, no big deal. I think, uh, who's the, the puppy, uh, the guy with the videos does the, the real good puppy work. He does, you Pat know, Nolan? All, no, not Pat Nolan. Real good puppy work. Oh goodness. Van Egan. no, Puppy work. Does videos. Yeah, he does more than puppy work, but I always recommend his puppy. Uh, oh, his puppy. Hillman. Hillman. Hillman says back on all his marks. Yeah. Yeah, so, I mean, it's it's not a... Not a big deal. It's not a big deal, and it's not going to hurt you in hunt test. Nah, nah. Go for it. Cool. All right, Jacob. Can't pronounce your last name. Hilgenberg. Uh, I'm going to go for it. How do you know when a dog has reached its ceiling... And won't make it to the next level. Such as an athlete that's really good in college but never makes it in the pros. Can a dog be really good senior level dog and never quite grasp the master concepts? Is it possible that the dog has maxed out its potential? Or as a trainer, should you keep pushing and trying different things to see if you can get the dog to the next level? Dang, that's a good one. I think there are some dogs that have a ceiling. I do, but I, f- I think if you say you have a good senior dog, what's the big difference between senior and a master with, other than one more mark? Yeah. I, I If you got a great or good senior dog, as he said, mm-hmm. how old's the dog? You know, sure. There's lots of other things we need to know, but yeah, I if don't. If he's seven, I might say, meh, keep, keep plugging away, but. Yeah. If it's a young dog and he's really good at senior work, I don't see a reason why you can't add a mark and run a blind. Yeah. Me too. I, I look at it like if you're not if you and the dog aren't having fun anymore, then 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 it's no fun. But if you both come out and enjoy training, you're both happy, you're both trying hard. If the dog's trying hard, then I'm sticking with it. If the dog doesn't try hard, then I'm I'm more apt to be like, you know what? We might have reached its ceiling, I guess. If it's not having fun, if it doesn't try hard, if it's pathetic about it, if it's gutless, I mean, even gutless, I can get them through it because then they learn there's no other choice than to do it my way. Right. But if it's giving you effort. But if it's giving you effort and they're having fun doing it. It's just one more mark. Yeah. Go for it. Yep. Keep playing. Keep trying. I don't like ever telling people to give up. It just seems like a quitter mentality to me. But but I would agree with him to some degree that there are some dogs that marking ability isn't that great. Um, understanding difficult concepts, it boggles their mind. I under, I can understand that, but I think... In the grand scheme of things, keep on keeping on. Yeah? You dig it? Absolutely. Cool. Mark, previous client of mine, for a master hunt test, do you ever vary from bird pickup order? Dot, 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 dot. Outside, outside, middle. How do you transition the dog? Oh, so that's question one. Question two. How do you transition a dog to focus on the marks thrown at the furthest distance for a field trial as opposed to hunt test? Go ahead, bud. Reread the second one. How about I read the first one and then we'll we'll get that All one right. done. For a mass the first one. Oh, okay. Pick up order. I do it a lot in training. I'm not gonna do it in a test most of the time, but in training I'm going to 
a lot of times tell the dog, no, we're picking this one up next. Mm-hmm. Or we're picking this one up first. Um, or we're going to run a blind first, and then we're going to pick up the marks. Yeah. And I'm going to dictate what you're doing, and you're going to go where sent. And so right. in training, yes, we'll do that quite a bit at a test. Uh, unless the dog's going to do something that's going to be detrimental to picking up this test right. Right. But if it comes back, and maybe I want the short left bird next, but it comes back and looks out the longer bird, and it is rocked, I mean, focused in on that bird, knows where it is, then let's go get it, get out of the test. We're not training on Saturday. No, so, I agree. Yeah, I'm not, I'm not going to mess with the dog too much. Typically, I pick up next shortest bird right. and leave my long bird for the end. It's easier to get a dog to go further than it is for a dog to go far and then check back down. Absolutely. Okay. So that's kind of my thought process on picking up birds to Blaine's point about not arguing with a dog at the line to get them to pick up the one you want. If they're dead focused on that bird, I agree with that, but I think how I train and what I expect out of my dogs throughout the weeks where I'm facing they lock in on. Yeah, I mean, I don't get that much. Yeah, it's but rare. if it happens, mm-hmm. all right, we're not arguing about this today. Go get the bird and then come back. Let's and gather test, and yeah. you know, it's very rare. But but like for instance, today I'm gonna I'm gonna pull Mickey <clears throat> as an example. Right. Yeah, I know what you're gonna say. Yep. yep. Mickey's got an older dog, a little bit rusty. He's got a younger dog. He's focusing on brought up, brought out the older dog. We shoot through a dinky walk-up bird and then a down the shore it was just a double for the senior dogs basically down the shore mark in the back corner of a pond mickey's dog came out saw the walk-up bird saw the down the shore bird and goes f you mickey i'm not swimming i'm gonna go get the easy one on land and he was gonna let her do it and i yelled no here the dog listened (laughs) and the dog listened to me he came back to Mickey. i'm like you better make her do it right and sure enough, she did it right. That stuff I do not stand for. No. That I don't stand for. That was for. gutless, trying to get the easy way out. Yeah. And I told him that. Yeah. 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 He's, he's <laughs> he knows. But it was just one of those moments where that, to me, doesn't fly in training. Therefore, when we go to a test, they don't even know that that's an option. Right. Right. But so you're going to get that point where a dog does something dumb. And you got to ride it out. Let it go, pick up the set. Yep, move on. Ride it out. Um, the other thought I have on that is like what to elaborate on what you said during our setups. We're not just we don't just throw a triple and just go straight around the horn and pick it back up, and we don't train like a test. Right. We don't just set up a test and run it like a hunt test depending on the dog and their skill level, like let's use today's double and a blind for an example. Some of the dogs that were a little bit older, it was a little easy for them. I think one dog, you note off all the marks and ran the water blind and then picked them up. Some dogs, you let them go get the go bird, note them off the short walk up bird and ran behind the gun and got the water blind and then picked up the short bird. Like you're varying what you're doing and challenging the dog to think, especially at the master level and above, I don't want them to just be a robot and say, this is what we're doing, A, B, C, pick it up, C, A, B. Mm-hmm. A, B, C, C, A, B. And and then when something goes awry at a hunt test and they throw something different, they don't know how to do it because they they got too comfortable doing it the same way every time. Right. So switch it up on them especially at that dog's skill level and mark your skill level. Throw throw three marks, know them off, run two blinds, pick up one, run another blind, pick it, pick up the other mm-hmm. two. Like jack his brain up and he has to do what you want him to do, not what he wants to do. That would be my thought. Right. Like the first setup we did. Oh yeah. I ran good. it eight different ways with all my dogs. Yep. And I wanted every dog to be challenged. Had I just picked up the double and ran the blind it wouldn't have challenged them. Not all of them. You're right. Right. So do different things. 
Yep. And challenge your dog. Don't try to win the day in training. I don't know who your client's name. Well, I can't remember his Mark. name. Mark. After about six dogs, he's like, you haven't done this the same yet, and they're not picking up really good. I was like, good. Yeah. If they're going out here and spanking this thing, what are they learning? Right. And so they got to be challenged, make it hard, and get something out of your day. Yeah. I think if I were to look at a ratio for me, I want to set things up where 80% of the time they're learning and struggling and being challenged, and then 20% of the time they come out and hammer. And so you're balancing that confidence with teaching. If they come out and hammer every single mark that gets thrown, you're wasting time. You're wasting time. You're just exercising the dog. They're just running and getting something and coming back. If you 100% of the time challenge them every time, then I feel like they lack the confidence to feel good about themselves to go out and smack stuff. And they start second-guessing themselves, and they start creating other behaviors like no-going, popping. Yeah, they get piss-poor attitude. Yeah, they get sour, all that stuff. We want to build momentum, and so there's a ratio there that every dog's a little bit different, but if you play that 80-20 rule of 80% of the time, I want them to hunt for that mark. I want them to, like, fade with a factor. I want them to try and get out early. I want to show them the right way to do it and how to do it. But then there are other times where I'm going to go out and feel good about them going out and front footing stuff and running good blinds and lining it. If they line every blind, then they aren't a good handling dog. They're a good lining dog. If they're a good casting dog, then they probably aren't holding that good of lines. Like it's a fine mm -hmm. balancing act, right? Great. What's the second part of this question? Uh, how do you transition a dog to focus on marks thrown at a further distance from four field trials as opposed to hunt tests? Best thing to do is throw field trial marks first. You mean as a young dog? Yeah, as a young dog. Now, now if that hasn't happened... No, he, his dog was here for a while. I mean, that dog's seen far marks yeah. and white coats and stuff. Um, so, so typically what I'll do... And I'm not a, I've said it 800 times on this podcast. I've ran a few field trials. Yeah, neither I, one of us are field trial we pros. We are not field trial pros. This is not our expertise. Um, but what I like to do is I have stick men, and a stick man is a white deal that some of them are diamond. You can get them at Gunners Up. You can get them from Lyle Steinman at Steinman Products, but they're like a diamond post that you stick in the ground that's white and the dog looks out at that target and that's where you put your winger and the dog locks it on that white thing and knows that a mark's getting thrown from it so i'm going to put a deep bird let's say 300 yards away whatever and then i'm going to have two or three shorter ones scattered right if and hey by the way if you haven't seen our abc drill on youtube that would be a configuration you could try this on um or see what I'm kind of talking about. So they're they're out there in the field, and the dog walks out of a holding blind and sees four white stick men. Okay? And most people don't have bird throwers. So you got wingers out there. But he looks out there. Your job is to get him to look at that far one. So I'm going to have my bird thrower at that far one, waving their arm. Actually, I'm probably not going to do that at all first. Maybe for a young dog. Let me back up. For a puppy? What I say is do the least amount you have to do to get the dog to get the look. Yeah. Yeah. Try nothing. Add a little, add maybe a little stand up, move. Yeah. Take a step out. Arm, whatever. But then, then finally like yeah. a, Hey, Hey, or like boom, the gun. Yeah, if it's not working, do what you got to do, but you know, try and work on that as dog. little as possible. And for Mark, like what I would try and equate that him to think about is when my dogs see that four wheeler, they know the person is sitting on that four-wheeler and that bird's getting thrown from that four-wheeler. So they lock in no matter where everything is placed. They see the four-wheeler and they're like, that's where bird boy is. And that's where the bird's coming from. So anyways, I'm going to have that far, far bird for a while be the first bird out because they want the bird. So they're going to find where that thrower is. And then they lock in on it, cue them up good. Good, right there. If they look off to the shorter gun, no. Heel, no. Here, sit, sit. Good, right there. Call for your bird. Um, then as they get good at picking out the long gun, 
I'm probably not going to throw the long gun first every time. I'm going to make it more like the two-thirds gun. Then a deep gun, then a short gun, and and like vary it a little bit where they... I, I typically want them to still look out far most of the time, but I like to vary it a little bit so they don't just... Again, I don't want them to come out and go A, B, C, C, D, A. I try and vary it a little. How do you feel about that discussion? If it's just going to be singles off of multiple guns... I'm going to hundred percent of the time throw the long gun first. Okay. Now, if it's, if I'm trying to teach a dog to check up on a short bird, then I have to throw the short one first. Yeah. So it's a memory bird, Mm -hmm. but singles, young dogs, um, that's something our, our buddy Lee Howard always said, and he learned it from Hugh Arthur, throw the long bird first. Yeah, and the other throw the long bird first and, and have that long bird be extremely enticing. So, my if I have a flyer, when I'm doing a field trial setup, the flyer's at the long gun. That dog looks out there and gets super pumped that a duck's coming from that that's flapping and getting shot at. Yeah, and as they get a little older, it needs to be less enticing. Yeah, it needs to be hard to find. Mm-hmm. The few you know the the random field trials we run, the long bird's always first always been first get out and get to pick out that long gun and it's all it seems to be it's mm-hmm. harder to find mm-hmm. and so they look they see the, sh- the flyer station is always short yeah or mid-range and they're locked in on that they see all the guys out there they see the crate they hear the ducks mm-hmm. they need to be comfortable looking past that to find that long bird out there that's just standing there with a dead duck yeah and so good point. there's balance in that too that's a great um, point but for a young dog yeah make it exciting there's a flyer out there you get rewarded for looking out and finding a long bird. You get a flyer. They all love the flyer. Um, but you got you to gotta maintain that balance so that they'll find it in spite of the flyer being short. Yeah. So then uh, another guy, Stephen McDonald, commented on Marks and he said, working on this exact same thing with my dog. It's like the dog needs prerequisites in what a stick man is and why it's worthwhile to look at it before we introduce concepts built around the stick man. Yeah, I, kind of understand what he means like if you've never had white coat stuff then the dog just doesn't, doesn't really yeah. register but i don't think that takes that long no but it's I, I get exactly what he's saying yeah i've seen it when i first started i never threw white coats and then you get a five or six year old dog hey let's try training for a field trial yeah they don't get it no but you get a pup and you, that, all the marks that pup sees, the, you know, whoever's throwing your birds has a white jacket on or you have stickmen out there and they're relating that white thing with a duck. Yeah. And it's fun. They love it. They, they want to look for it. Yeah. Eric Nilsson, talking control, especially when running blinds, a dog that becomes independent and working for itself and not with you. What drills do you do to create teamwork and precision control on casting? What separates a great, the great handlers from the good or average handlers? All right, so let's answer the first question, which is talking about control and a dog during a hunt test that gets independent and working for itself, not with you. What kind of drills are we doing? I've never had control, so I don't know how to get it. I think it goes back to what we you know talked about earlier with the the western states people. You know, you building control in the basics. Mm-hmm. You're building control when you blow that whistle that dog's butt sits on the tee pattern. When you start to run your first blinds, you don't accept the loopy sit. You don't accept the winding the bird at the end of the blind. And not stopping the dog. Um, I think it's just the standards you put on the dog early on. It's, you know, even if the dog's lining the blind early on in life, stop that joker when it can see the pile. Yeah. You know, get that control there um, in training every day. I've got certain dogs I don't let line blinds. Yeah. They've got to sit on the pile. Even if they're lining it all the way to the end, I'm going to sit you at the end. And if you don't, we're you know there's there's consequences to pay for that, um, and so I don't know if you need to worry about well, if it's a problem now and you've already gone through basics, then you know 
I've got things that I do with dogs that I think work for me with bird boy blinds and walk around blinds. And well, that's what he's asking, you know, things like that. But I think it, it boils down to what did you accept early on? And did you rush through to get to running blinds where that became a problem? And how old's a dog? What's, what are the issues? Yeah. I, I watched the dog run this weekend and I owe him a phone call because, again, he's a Patreon guy. But uh, I watched the dog run, and it didn't really... The blind I, I watched in the first series, I didn't get to watch him run the third series. second series was just a triple. Um, the dog uh, left his side, blew a whistle, looking, started looking around. Casted, scalped. In the direction of the blind, just blew the whistle, looking around. Casted, scalloped, downwind of the bird, winded the bird and hunted it up. And he blew a few more whistles, but the dog got it. Right. Wasn't awful, but it wasn't, in my opinion, a good, a, a good control blind. It just left his side, sort of stopped, sort of went where he wanted, was downwind and found it. Water blind... Um, I mean, got in the water, sort of went down shore, and then legit went where it wanted to go. Every time he casted one way, it kept going the way he wanted. But it was such a small pond and such a small blind that it wasn't that far offline, but it didn't do what it was being told. It just kept going in the water and then got out and ran one way if it, if it ran the other way he'd have been screwed it yeah. ran the correct way and found the bird so i understand what he's asking after watching that i didn't see what the other blind looked like but for me on our patreon there's a video that is never to be seen on youtube it's only for patrons um you do it i do it that builds control and sitting down and picking something up when i tell you to do it not when you feel like doing it I think the KRD drill, which uh, we filmed the other day and will be rolling out soon, um, is very good on building control. And the relationship with the mark to the blind, where a dog who has this kind of control issues would struggle with, work through it, and you get them there. And then the next time you do it, and the next time you do it, and the next time you do it, you're building that control. So I think the KRD drill is a great way to, I told you sit, I told you go this way, now go this way. Um, yeah, and, and to the part about you blew the whistle, the dog sits, and it's looking around, not at you. Sit. Nick. Yell, yell sit. Yeah. Sit, Nick, sit. Yeah. Get it to look at you. When it, look at, when it looks at you, give it the cast. Yep. You know, demand it. But... I can't overemphasize the end of the blind. Yeah. Stopping the dog, making it sit, mm -hmm. and finish the blind right. Yeah. Do not ever let a dog hunt up the end of the blind. Do not. Yeah. Don't, in practice, cheat it on the downwind side where it's going to wind it and find it. You know, if you're by yourself, if you got one dog, you're only planting one bumper. So it's harder to finish. It gives you more training opportunities. Mm -hmm. For us, a lot of times, we've got 18 or 20 bumpers out at a pile. Dogs can smell that. They finish it easier. So you've got to maintain that control at the end of the blinds and, and make them sit. Yeah. Um, just don't, don't try to. It's the same thing as in every part of training. Don't try to win the blind in training. Stop the dog. Yeah. You're not getting any extra credit for lining that blind. Yeah. I'm, I also do one that I call like the down the tree line blind. And so I'll use white stick, white poles. And I do one that's short, medium, and long all the way down the tree line. And the tighter you get to the tree line, the tighter the line is to the tree line. To the tree line. You can go further out into the field, and now it's a little less tight. And you'll run the first one. Typically, they line it. Now you've got to run the second one, and they're going to scallop back to that first one. And you have to cast them off. And they're going to scallop back. And you're going to get a correction. And you cast. And they're going to scallop back. And you get a correction. And then they take it. And they're like, oh, there's shoot. There's another one. Boom. Take it. 
Now you got to go get the third one. They don't really care about the first one because they just got some pressure and and whatever. But now they're like, oh, I know where I'm going. I'm going to the second one. And you got to fight them off the second one. So now I'm getting all angle back right casts. Right. Day two, switch it up, go the opposite direction. Now you're getting all angle back left casts. And you're teaching them, I told you not to go there. And then once they finally figure out that I know where I'm pointing you and they look out and see the other pole, boom, they got it. And it you can see it register that, like, I just need to listen to them and I'm going to get rolled. Yeah, we do that on water all the time. Yep. We have a set of blinds we do on water where they swim by one to get to the next one, swim by that one to get to the next one. Yeah. And your left angle backs and then right angle backs. Yeah. All right, his second portion of that question, what separates great handlers from the good or average handlers? I would say... Staying cool, calm, and collected. Not because things aren't going according to plan. You start rushing things. You don't start getting super nervous. When the wheels fall off, you're still in the game. Um, composure, I think, makes a great handler. Yeah, being proactive instead of reactive. Mm-hmm. You know, know ahead of time. I know my dog. I know this is the point in this blind or in this setup that could cause a problem. We're going to avoid getting into that problem because we're being proactive Mm -hmm. and we're not going to react to a bad decision. We're not going to allow the bad decision to happen. Um, And so we're going to handle before that. I'm not going to let a, you know, a piece of suction that I know is going to affect my dog on a blind at a test affect the dog and then react to it. We're going to keep him out of that. Yeah. And so I guess it's just reading your dog, knowing your dog, looking at the test, watching all the dogs before you run, you know, watching, you know, if 80% of the dogs are doing something, your dog is probably going to do the same something. So be ready. Be ready. Yeah. 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 But I think the, you're absolutely right. I think the great handlers, when you watch them run, it's almost like another day training. Yeah, you're training. You just... It's, no surprises. Yep. You just go up and run it. Uh, that, that would be my answer to that. Um, Justin Steele. Great name. Getting your dog to run straight lines without lining paths. My dog wants to hunt for bumpers more than he should. He will break down and hunt at random distances, even with white pole at 25-yard blind, limited to training grounds. All right. First off, I don't really... We'll have to discuss this after the fact there, Justin, but um, I think we need to figure out there's no reason to do a 25-yard blind, A. Um, Not at all. Like, it should be... That's like a force to a pile distance. Like the second day. Yeah, I mean, yeah. you, you got to move on. We, yeah, so either we aren't like, an, and so I don't know to, how to answer this because it probably sounds like we're not far. Just like Blaine said earlier, talking about the the Boykin seminar, you might have moved on and want to run these blinds, but you haven't done enough homework to build that foundation to to run a a proper blind. So, um, we need to chat on this. I, but good question. I mean, I understand where you're coming from, but. There, there's definitely some things we need to work on and talk about to understand more to give you better advice. But my first advice is don't run 25-yard blinds. My, when I have a new young dog that's running blinds, I think all my blinds are out past 100 yards. They're way out there, so I can allow that dog to carry cast and feel good about themselves and leave my side and just go somewhere. And then I've got several blinds out there, so if they are screwing up, I can get them to another one and they're successful and you're just trying to get them to go. Absolutely. So stretch those blinds out. Um, we had a couple that came in through Instagram that I want to hit on before my phone dies because there were some really good, good ones that came in and me and you kind of talked about it too there, Blaine. Um, we're going to do it. I'm going to do a video on this, but, uh, can you please explain primary and secondary selection from Cody? Primary selection. This So it's funny that he asked this. 
I had to call Blaine and my friend Trish because I don't really get it. Like, you just go get ducks, right? And I'm not a freaking scientist or dictionary guy. So, primary selection in what my definition was, which turned out to be right, so I'm, I'm pumped about my knowledge, but I felt like a dumbass for having to ask other people. And then when I asked them, they're like, huh, like Trish has been training dogs for 45 years. And when I asked her, she was like, hmm, let's think about this. I'm not, uh, so it's funny. Primary selection is birds get thrown. You go get the go bird. That's your primary selected bird. Then you go pick up the next shortest bird. Then you go pick up the long bird. That's primary selection. Secondary selection would be you go get the go bird. And instead of going and getting the next shortest bird or no, you're not. That would say that would be. Don't pick up the go bird. Go get another bird. Okay. First. The second and third bird are irrelevant. It's the one you pick up first. Are you sure? Yeah. 100% sure. 100%. Hmm. Well, we talked about, bud. I know, bud, but this is where it gets confusing. <laughs> Secondary. So I'm going to select you all. Primary would be go get the go bird. Mm-hmm. Secondary, hey, no, we're not going to get the go Let's bird. Let's go get something else and then pick it up. Yeah, yeah. Hmm. Yeah, screw the dictionary. It's not my bag. Just go get ducks. Sit still. Um, he also asked, do you run dogs on one or two sides? What are the pros and cons of a two-sided dog? I run on one side. If the dog marks a bird, it's going to go get the bird. Um, I hate. And now listen. There's some very, very good dog trainers out there that two-sided heal. And their dogs understand it. They're calm at the line. They make decisions. They've trained them to a high level. It's good. It's fine. I get it. The The pro would be like the dog understands if I'm on this side, that's the side of the gun I should stay on. If I'm on that side, that's the side of the gun I should stay on. I get it. I've only trained dogs that have come from like other trainers at two-sided heel. And then every time like you're trying to line them up and, and finesse them, here, here. All of a, they're so jacked, they flip to the other side of you. And that drives me freaking up the wall sit down here just go get just, your bird just go get your bird so um i don't two-sided heel because it's one more thing that dog has to think about worry about comprehend um if they mark the bird they go get their bird what are your thoughts i'm not smart enough to go both ways i just <laughs> i'm the same way yeah sit on my left watch the bird from the left side go get it I've talked to other people that do it other ways. I get their side of it. I'm just not there. Mindset on the left side. They go get the birds. Yeah. No, I dig it. This will be our last one, bud. Um, Leeboy, Florida. Breaking down terms that the pros use. So the first one he wrote down was a retired gun. Go ahead. Do you want to describe a retired gun? Sure. So in go back going back to the white coats and the white coat setups, long bird comes out first, boom, throws, short bird comes out. You go get the short bird. On your way to the short bird, the long guy with the white coat hides. It's now retired. The dog comes back. He does not see the gunner. He has to mark the bird and go get it. And so it's retired. Um, you can retire the short bird, the long bird, the middle bird, the short retired seems to be the toughest for my dogs because the long gun's standing out and they want to go deep, mm-hmm. um, back to earlier. We said, you know, it's easier to get them to go long than it is to get them to go short, Yep. you know, for, a, you know, those kind of dogs, but it just means that the white coat disappears and the dog needs to go up there and, and find the bird at Mark knows where it is. Yeah. How about poison bird? Yeah. Okay. So. We did that today with a lot of dogs. You throw a mark or two marks or three marks and the dog sees one thrown. You say no, no bird. You line them up for a blind dead bird. You go pick up the blind in a hunting scenario. It's a great, it's a great training thing for just hunting dogs. 
And so the guys that say, I just need a meat dog. Well, you need a dog that can run a poison bird too because you shoot three ducks down and two lot, you know, fall dead in the decoys and one swimming off out of the decoys. You know them off the dead ones and you go get the one that's swimming off. And so it's, uh, you know, it's, it's getting the one you send them to. Yep. yep. Head swinging. Head swinging is you've got multiple marks going down. And the dog anticipates the next mark and looks off of the first mark and swings his head and looks for yeah. what's coming next. Uh, big no-no. You want him to stare down yeah, not each focusing. bird. Yeah, you want him to stare down each bird. My remedy for that is throw slow more down. singles. Yeah, slow down. If they look off, tell them no set. Stick, set. Yeah, slow they down. should look back out. And uh, when they look back out, send them. You can quick send them. So instead of waiting a lot longer and like making them be super steady, they see a mark go down, they head swing, send their ass and see if they remember what's up. And then the next time they're gonna be like, hmm, maybe I should watch a little better because he might send me real quick. And so you kind of just vary things up on them. And I think because I throw a lot of singles and then maybe know them off and run a blind or whatever, like I I don't have a big problem. Memphis is my worst head swinger. <laughs> She just, she's so excited. She just can't hide it. And she knows, she knows, she knows she wants to. We love Memphis. Yeah. What are some other terms that we use that people would be like, what the heck are they saying? I don't know. Boudin. No, we talked about Boudin on the last (laughs) podcast, bud. We had a a Cajun cook on and he was. All right. So they know what Boudin is. Yeah. We went in deep on Boudin. That Boudin. That Boudin. That Boudin. Boudin I can't tomorrow. wait. I can't wait to eat Boudin. Um, Kevin, can you think of any? How about running through what a go bird is? That's a bird you go for. It's the last it's bird last down. down. Last bird down is the one you send your dog on. Um, a live flyer is a bird that's alive, and you throw it and shoot it, or throw it and shackle it. And shackling means you tie it up so it can't run away. Um, I don't know. A st- we went over what a stick man is. I, I keep forgetting I don't have a microphone. Uh, a lot of times you'll talk about dogs uh, running out into the field and they're scalloping. Or they'll like go behind the gun, things like that. Wow, look at you bringing the heat. Talk about scalloping. They're a great little uh, seafood dish. Yeah. Yeah. Great seafood dish. Butter. Mm. They're not holding a cast. I give a left angle back. They take it for like five steps and then cut back to the right. Mm-hmm. So it's about carrying a cast. So yeah. a dog that does not carry the cast is scalloping. Yep. What was the other one you said? Running behind the gun. Oh, running the bird's gun. thrown left to right from the line. And the dog goes to the left side of the gun station yeah. instead of the right side of the gun station. Mm-hmm. Big no-no. We want them to run at the bird. Pick it up. Pick it up. Yeah, awesome job. Blaine, uh, let's uh, let's finish off with um, patreon.com forward slash brown dog academy. So if you enjoy... All right, sorry, I was reading some more questions that came in. We had some good questions. Maybe we'll do a little Instagram and tomorrow while we're training and answer some of these too. So stay tuned, everyone. Um, but it's if you want to support Blaine's Patreon slash learn a ton uh, about how he does his deal, it's Brown Dog Academy. Ours is Lone Duck Outfitters. We appreciate you all tuning in to uh, Lone Duck's Gun Dog Chronicles slash Brown Dog Academy's podcast. It's always great to have the pterodactyl. back in in uh house with us but this is the first time he's been in new york so thanks for being here bud Uh, i love you very much i'm glad you're here and i can't wait for the upcoming weeks do you want to say goodbye bye-bye bye-bye
Hey, do me a solid. If you enjoy the show, if you enjoy our Instagram, if we've helped you at all, join patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. If you do it before September of 2023, you're going to enter to win a hunt with me and Kevin and a bunch of other Patreon members down in Missouri. We're going to smack some ducks, have some fun, do a seminar with our dogs and have a great time. But jump into patreon.com forward slash Lone Duck Outfitters. Links in the description and join the community that helps me help you help your dog. Hey listeners, Nick Larson here, host of the Bird Shop Podcast. As fans of this show, you may be interested in the conversations on the Bird Shop Podcast, where we discuss all things upland hunting, from upland birds and their habitat and conservation, to the shotguns, bird dogs, and gear used to pursue them. Whether you're a seasoned upland hunter or just getting started and wanting to learn more, I interview a wide range of guests, each with their own unique perspective and valuable experience to share. If you're on the hunt for more upland hunting conversation, please consider subscribing to the Bird Shop Podcast today. Thank you.